first, I'm sorry, Second Corinthians chapter four. Would you turn there, please? Starting in verse seven, we read this. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair, in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Always caring about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus may also be manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death is working in us, but life in you. And since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, and he speaks from Psalm 116, verse 10, I believed and therefore I spoke. We also believe and therefore speak. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you for all things or for your sakes. That grace, having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving and abound to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, elephos, or actually elephros slipsis, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not are eternal. Will you please pray with me? Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, speak tonight profoundly to each one of us that we could hear you, know you, love you, interface with you, encounter you, engage you, and be engaged by you in your word that we would be captivated, drawn in, and utterly consumed. And Lord, that tonight you would anchor us profoundly. I commit tonight to you, Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Immerse me that you would be seen and that your power would manifest. And thank you for the blessing and the privilege of being able to say yes to you another night. Lord, let tonight be brilliant to each of us in our hearts and our minds. Lord, that your word would just touch every spot that it needs to. And that tonight you would strengthen the feeble hands that hang down the legs that are shaky or the ankles that are weak and put us in that place, Lord, where we could be the army you called us to be in Jesus' name. Amen. I would say tonight as I would any, please don't just believe me. Don't just assume it's true because I say so. Search the scriptures. Let the Bible always have the final say. I want you to look again for a moment at verse 16 as a bit of reference for just a moment. He says, Therefore we do not lose heart. Because of this particular situation we're about to look at here, we don't lose heart because of this. Even though the outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. In the last verse, he'll tell us that that which you can see is temporary and that which you can't see is eternal. 
Now, I want to put those two things together and sort of start sort of unpacking this particular text. I want you to look around for a second. Everything that you can see has an expiration date. The bodies you have, the clothes you wear. Some of you, it's like me, I can wear out a pair of shoes in about a month and a half now. Enough walking on the streets. This beautiful building, I bet when this building was originally built, it probably seemed impervious and eternal. But one good rain proves it otherwise. Though in its initial moment, probably wildly full of glory. And yet you can see the need for repair. Some of us are getting old enough where we can feel that on ourselves. We had those moments that it seemed like, man, when the light hit it, no matter how the light hit it, it looked all right. And now the light's got to hit it just right. And otherwise, it shows need for repair. Here's the problem. In 1 Samuel, when God is actually replacing Saul the king with David, and he sends Samuel to the house of David's father, Jesse, and seven of the eight brothers are brought in. And of course, you can guess which one isn't. That's David himself. He's following the sheep outside. And the other seven are brought in. And, and as it's the case, Samuel looks at the oldest. He looks at him. He's like, oh, clearly this boy. Look at him. He's a good-looking, strapping kind of guy. Boy, would he look good on an eHarmony profile. But God says, yeah, he looks good on the surface. But though man looks at the outer appearance, the Lord looks at the lavav. Can you say lavav? Lavav is the word for the inside. And what he tells us here in our text is that there's, you have two parts. Did you notice there? There's the outward man and the inward man. The outward man is the part people see. That's the part because we look at the surface. That's the part we notice. That's how I can tell the difference, for instance, here between Ricky and John. Now, clearly, all I have to do is wait for them to talk. Then it's going to be very evident which one is which. But from surface, I could look at the two of them and really get a clear difference. Okay, this one's Ricky, that one's John. That's just the way it is. No matter how much Jay dresses like Lucas or Lucas dresses like Jay, or the two of them try to dress like Nathaniel or otherwise, I'm going to be able to pull them apart. How about you? It isn't like I've ever looked at Nathaniel and gone, Lucas, oh, oops. As a man, as a human being, we look at the outer appearance. That is where we're drawn to. And what Paul is doing here is challenging us because, you see, before we came to Christ, it was the only vision we had. Hey, how many of you remember those things that were called stereograms? They were these kind of goofy-looking things, but if you stared at it long enough, it like kind of a 3D image came out of them. Do some of you remember those? They were so frustrating for me because my eyes are so bad, I couldn't pull a 3D thing out of that to save my life. But there were people who were like, don't you see it? It's the butterfly or the unicorn or whatever. And if you stared at it long enough, I guess, I don't know, maybe you started hallucinating. I don't know whether it really was there or not, but I couldn't see it. But I get the idea that I just was not equipped. But then I really don't have, to be honest, I really don't even have like depth perception. I mean, anything we do in sports has to be by either muscle memory or prayer, or both, usually is the way that works. So if you get hit in the head with a ball when we're playing something, chances are, well, for most of you, it's a mistake. Now, to follow me on this, the idea of it is, is that somewhere down the line, though, you can get some bit of correction, and as you do, you start to see things in an entirely different way. I remember when I actually got corrective lenses for the first time, in a way, and then went and saw a 3D movie. I mean, before that point, things were just blurry. And for the first time, I, I moved. 
when something, and I believe it, I think it was like the Despicable Me 2 ending, if you remember, where there's like the, I don't know, anyways, the tape measure that came out or whatever. But the whole idea of it was there was something, and I actually saw it very differently than I ever did before. And for the first time, I got a brand new view on things. Does that make sense? But let's take it in a different way, and we've talked about this before. If you were born and raised in London, everything's gray. Sky's kind of gray. Buildings are kind of gray. The people are kind of gray. In the sense that it can really be kind of a very, you know, it's, we get herded like cattle into our trains. We get herded like cattle out of our trains. And we go to our things. We kind of just do our day. And then somewhere down the line, you've been given a gift. Somebody gives you a ticket to go to Italy. And you get on that plane, and that plane kind of comes up, and it gets above that cloud covering. And for the first time in your life, you realize that the sky isn't all gray. Though everything seems a bit small with that overcast, though everything seems a little bit darker and grayer with that overcast, the moment you get above it, there is an endless horizon, there is a sun that is out there, and there are colors that you would not see otherwise. Then you land in, in Italy, you come back looking like Marcia, your skin's just beautifully brown, you know, you're feeling great about the thing, and you come back and you look different for a reason. You look different because you've been in a place that from the perspective of people who live here, they don't get it. If this is all you knew, how in the world did you change colors? They'll assume you went to one of those salons and paid for somebody to spray paint your body. And they'll smell you and you go, you know, by the way, you're aware that that's vegetable dye, right? So there you go. Well, anyways, so well, with all of that in mind, you're like, no, 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 no. Actually, this kind of happened naturally, as weird as that. And they're like, what do you mean naturally? Well, I've encountered the sun. And, they, and some people could say, what's that? And you're like this big burning ball in the sky. And some would say, I don't see it. How do I know you're telling me the truth? And if all you could do is walk by sight there... It would be really hard for you to explain it. Imagine how goofy that would sound. Whether you know it or not, there is this big burning ball of flame that is in the sky and it heats our planet. Well, how does it not burn out, Mr. Smarty Pants? I really don't know. It's gaseous and it burns. It just doesn't burn out. I do know that in four seconds, all of the power that is emitted from the sun is all of that com- that is compared to every nuclear bomb on our planet going off. There you go. Now, when all of that, you explain that, like, that just sounds so fantastical. There's this burning ball in the sky, and it heats us, and we all feel nice about it. And we start talking kind of like, eh, Mom, because I don't know how that works. But it doesn't make it untrue just because you can't see it, right? And then you come back down. But see, what, the moment you come back down into London, things are gray, but you're different. You're emitting color. And you come back into this thing and you're seeing things differently. Because even when things seem small and tight and, and pushing in, you've, you've, you, could re, you could go back and remember this endless horizon and these colors and this warmth. And there's a part of your heart that aches for it on one of those cold February days. When everyone is tucking themselves in because it should be three degrees less and it should be snowing. But right now it's just that freezing rain that you feel in your bones. And you close your eyes and you walk through. And and sometimes, if you think about it long enough and hard enough, it actually even warms you a bit in those cold days. And every one of us is born under the overcast of a sinful, spiritually dead nature. Everything looks gray. And we do our day existing 
We get on, we get off, we do our work, we get paid, we pay our bills or whatever. And somewhere in all of that, someday maybe we'll learn how to play golf or surf or something. More than likely not. And uh, maybe we'll see a movie and it'll be exciting for a couple hours. Or what I've learned is if it's a Transformer movie, maybe it's like 40 hours long. But in the end of it, by the time you're done, you're going to go out of that thing and you're going to kind of, okay, whatever. And you can hear music in the background from a church on a Sunday and you go, oh, whatever that's about. And, you know, and, and all that. But you, you, you don't know. And then somewhere down the line, and you look at people, and all you see is their surface, because that's all we can see. And so from the surface, you see money, and from the surface, you see stuff, and you see goods, and you see power and importance, and you see in the newspaper how some people seem to be important because they have money, or some people seem to be important because they can sing or dance or whatever it is, and they're on TV, and they can pretend like they're someone they're not, and people love that. And, they're, and oh, look at how important and how influential, and oh my goodness, now people want to know why this girl what this girl eats and people are eating a broccoli diet because this girl eats broccoli that must think they think she's important and i'm looking at the surface on all of this the surface the surface and then what happens is somewhere down the line someone says there is a place there is a sun out there and if you encounter him you'll never be the same and you'll see a horizon like you've never seen before and colors like you've never seen before and a life like you've never seen before and you'll be and you're going to go there and your whole life is going to be transformed and you go what i've never seen that before and you're like, well, you're smelling it on me. And the color I'm emitting and this excitement and this vigor was not consistent with the gray world you came from. And people kind of go, if by faith you're willing to come with me, I have a ticket right here with your name on it. The moment you want, well, you'll be able to go up there with me. And the moment you say yes and you accept the gift of Jesus Christ who died on the cross on your behalf and raised again on the third day, you experience a brand new world because you've encountered the Son. But now here's the problem. You go back in and you're seeing things from two perspectives. You're seeing the world you used to see, but you're seeing a little different than you used to see it. And then you go to church. And it all depends on who's most influential. Because to be honest, from the, there are still those that, that haven't trained themselves. What happens? You come back to this, and isn't it easy sometimes to forget about the sun, forget about the warmth, forget about all of that, and you just kind of get back into the gray world with a little bit of difference. The only difference now is that there's something inside of you that's sparked, but you're kind of now, you don't fit in like you used to. You're the one person looking around while everyone's heading in like cattle, and you realize things are a little bit different in you now. But then you go to church, and what happens if those that are still led by what they see on the surface are calling the shots and saying, this is what Christianity looks like? Let me tell you the difference, beloved. The surface is qualifications. The inside is character. And whether you know it or not, Ricky's body is, is already has a, an expiration date. Lauren's body already has an expiration date. Jay's body has an expiration date. My body has an expiration date. I'm fairly confident that my expiration date may be sooner than yours, but I can't guarantee that. But in the end of it all, there is a part that I can't see of Ricky or Jay or Lauren. Because there are two parts. There's the outward man and the inward man. And the inward man, the moment you said yes to Jesus, became alive. And when Jay said yes to Jesus, God 
birthed in Jay a life that he would have never had any other way. You can't get it from Muhammad. You can't get it from Buddha. You can't get it from, from diuretics or nidianetics or whatever it is. You can't get it from sitting and eating yogurt up at a cave somewhere or chanting and staring at your belly button. Whatever it is, you're not going to get it from any of that stuff. And you can't get it from money, and you can't get it from fame, and you can't get it from other relationships, and you can't get it from anything else, because you can only get it from the God who gives life. And once you encounter Him, everything is different. And all of a sudden, you come in here, and somebody says, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is the way the church is supposed to be run. Let's run the church by the surface. And the moment we start going from the surface, we know we're in trouble. I'll tell you the way that looks. We're going to pick a person to lead us that graduated from seminary at age 11. Like that's what qualifies them. Or the CV that you get that says, I want you to know I've been the pastor of 17 churches and now I'd like to become assistant pastor at yours. And there's a part of you that says, well, wait a minute. Why, have, why aren't you at any of the 17 anymore? Because what God is looking for is character. If what God was looking for was qualifications, Jesus would have been born in Jerusalem and he would have pulled 12 Sadducees and Pharisees. Why fishermen? Because he was hounding out of them something so beautiful that you would have never saw from the surface. Does that make sense? Now here's the problem with Paul. He planted a church, and as he planted this church in Corinth, the church was blossoming. People were getting saved. Beautiful things were happening. Elders were being raised up. People were being discipled. It's what church is supposed to be. And then someone says, no, 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 let's look from the surface. From the surface, you know what we see with Paul? A guy that is beat up, a guy that is chased out, a guy that is evicted, a guy that is deported a guy that is running for his life and people go is that really what god's blessing looks like and you could go to church with us you know what god wants god wants us for you to be god wants us for you to be rich that's a surface thing but if you're rich on the outside and poor on the inside you are not seeing things the way god does do I believe that God wants to prosper you? Yes. But if you think the best thing God has to give you is money, you are selling God short. Jesus didn't die to make you rich or well here on earth. He died to give you eternity, to pull you out of all of that, and to show you something so much better. And I tell you what, I'd rather die of cancer with a heart that's completely his than could be completely healthy and run into hell. And here's Paul now sitting down with these individuals who are questioning Paul's calling, though they got saved through his ministry. They go, man, I'm not really sure. Because this person started this rumor, and this person's talking about this thing, and this person, oh, you should hear them. And I'm not too sure you're qualified for anything, man. Because look at how you're sick. And look at, I mean, what's up with your eyes, man? And how you're not well. And look at how you clearly don't have any money. And, and they're thinking, Where's the blessing of God in that? And Paul's like, what are you doing? You're looking at the surface. Do you get that? And I want to warn you, everywhere else in the world beside the church will challenge you to look at things from the surface. Only the church, God's word, would be those things telling you to look deeper. But that takes longer. That takes time. That takes supernatural insight. And the Lord wants that. He says, you'll be known by your fruit. Fruit's going to come from the inside, not from the surface. Now look at 
With that in mind, Paul says now, he starts talking about the life that he has. And what's interesting is, you know what you see if you look on the inside? Commitment. That's what you see with this guy. He has every reason to turn back. And by the way, can I just say that you will never be able to prove your commitment until stark challenges stare you in the face. When someone says, are you really committed to being clean? Are you really committed to being sober? Are you really committed to Christ? Are you really committed to your marriage? Are you really committed to that friendship? Are you really committed to this thing? And you could say yes, but until a challenge shows up, you will not show your commitment. Because commitment is demonstrated and it's from the inside out. So when Paul says, look at how he starts this area. Verse 7, he says, but we have this treasure. The treasure is the living God in an earthen vessel. If you look at the outside, what do you see? You see, the, uh, you see an earthen vessel, a very unimpressive vessel. Now understand, today, if you go to Corinth, they'll talk about how they make clay, or they, they shape clay, and their pots are famous all around the world. That, and because of Ricardo Montalban in the 70s, they're soft Corinthian leather. But other than that, in those days, they made metal pots, and they were known for their metal pots. Their metal pots were pots of great honor. Clay pots are ones maybe you used for a toilet, or pots were ones that were used for something, to be honest, they were kind of like our, our like little disposable things that you get like takeaway things that you would kind of throw away unless you're poor enough to actually rinse them out or someone like my wife that does them anyways. And you realize that for the most part, they're kind of like disposable containers. Think about that for a second. As he's speaking about you and he's speaking about me. You are a disposable container on the outside. If you're looking at the outside, it's a disposable container. Whether I like it or not, this body is going to become worm food. But I plan on using it up so much that the worms are going to think twice just getting near it. I've joked about it, but I've told my family often. I go, you know, when I die, cremate me and flush it down the toilet because it's all it's going to be worth. They're like, it's kind of morbid. I'm like, yeah, well, who cares? It's like, that's not me anyways. That's just the disposable container. That's what an earthen vessel is. But a godly view of yourself is confident in both sides, the outside and the inside. The enemy wants you to get you to look at the outside. He says, let me tell you what's on the inside. The greatest treasure of the universe. God's own presence dwells within you. Ephesians 1.13 says, the moment you said yes to Jesus, God came and made his home inside of you. And that's what made the vessel noble, made it valuable. Oh, beloved, please hear me. Paul's challenge in all of this is to look on the inside. And there are sometimes you'll see a surface kind of thing done, a surface thing said. And you know, it's so easy to get in the flesh when somebody else is in the flesh. And they say something, and the easy thing is like, where do they get off saying that? And you kind of flip out on something. And then you realize if we were really kind of the Christian God called us to be, sometimes we just kind of go, what, what, what was on the inside that made them do that? Does that make sense? We could even love a person that's being a jerk. Because sometimes people are that way because something weird is going on that they really need love and prayer and not somebody to fire back. But which one of us wants to volunteer for that role? So when he says, look at the earthen vessel, that's the outside. The inside, there's the treasure. And let me tell you why. So that the power and the glory will be of God, not of us. 
If a million people were starving to death and we brought a lorry for food to give to every one of them and there was somehow in that enough food for feeding them, worshiping the truck would be a stupid thing. But we could be thankful for the one who's given the food. And he goes through this list now. Notice this then in verses 7, 8, 9. There are four things he says in essence and there are four things that to not to this degree. These are the four things he says, that we're hard-pressed, we're perplexed, we're persecuted, and we're struck down. These are Paul's life. Who wants to volunteer to join Paul? If all we read are the four things that he said he is, but we didn't read what he isn't, we would hear this as if Paul was on the set of Oprah, or if Paul was sitting with Ellen and we were all just trying to have a good cry. But to be honest, once he gets the butt-knots in there, he turns, us in, he turns into coach and starts telling you, come on, boys, ladies, let's toughen up. Let's tighten those laces and let's get back out there. So listen, the first of them, hard-pressed. The term is flibble. Would you say flibble? Come on now, you got more in you than that. Come on now, flibble. And it kind of sounds like something you would buy as a kid that you probably bounce, and it's like, anyways, I just bought some flibbo. Awesome. No, flibbo means to crowd in. It means, and then the best example I can kind of think of is way back in the days of like the old, like Raiders of the Lost Ark movies or the the Star Wars ones, where they get stuck in a place where all the walls and ceilings kind of come in and crush in on all sides. That's what this word means. Or might I say it this way? You're on a train. It's eight, maybe eight thirty in the morning. And you are like Naomi's height or something like that, where you realize that every person around you, like it's like you can't even see anything. They're all just crowding in on all sides. That's the word that's used here. Understand, Paul understands what it's like to feel like no matter where you turn, there's pressure. And that's the idea here. You have days like that? Are you in a season like that? It just seems like it's coming from everywhere. It's like you feel like a zit and you're about to pop. Because, man, it's just you're being pressed on on every side. And you're like, I don't know how much more I can take of this. That's the word that is used here. As a matter of fact, it's the same word that Jesus used back in Matthew 7:14 when he said, narrow is the gate and difficult is the way that leads to life. It's the word for difficult. It told them, by the way, it's the same word that's used in Mark chapter 3, verse 9, when Jesus told his disciples that a small boat should be kept ready for him because the multitude was trying to crush him. They were crushing him. So they were getting so close to him that he said, can I get in a, a boat just to get some space between me and this, this group that's going to crush me otherwise? That's the word that's used there. And maybe that's where you're at. Well, can I just say part of the ministry, beloved, of being a pastor is telling you this? It's normal. As a Christian you still feel pressure. You still feel like there's things pressing in on you, but there's, but there's a good but not, and we're going to get to those in a moment. And then there's the word for perplexed. The word for perplexed is the word aporejo. Would you say aporejo? Come on, is this Greek? You can't say it like in a car. Aporejo. Aporejo means, in the simplest sense, no way out. You're at a total loss. You ever had those moments where you're like, I have no idea what to do with this? That's the word here. You know, it's like one of those moments where it's sort of like 
everybody's being emotional, things are being crazy, all of a sudden all of the bills come in and everybody has lice, or those kind of things. And you're like, really, one more thing, right now, at this moment, and you go like, I'm at a loss. It isn't like you could just throw out a really good boom and everything cleans up. You're like, uh, this is just perplexing. When Jesus teaches in John 13, his disciples look at one another perplexed about what he spoke. They get that. They didn't get I mean, no, it's, they were at a loss because Jesus taught. In Galatians chapter 4, verse 20, when Paul speaks about the, the Galatians, he says, I would love to be present with you and change my tone. <laughs> I tried to turn it off, but it didn't turn off in time. That'll be fun for anyone listening. Ah, no one's going to use this mic anymore. I'd like to be present with you and change my tone. Because <laughs> I have doubts about you. And that's the word for doubts. Like Paul was looking at the Galatian church and he's like, I don't, I, I, I am flabbergasted. I'm at a loss. Have you ever had those moments? Are you in those moments now? Are you in a season of that? Where you're like, you know what? This is so far beyond me. I don't even have a clue where to begin on this one. Well, that's where Paul's been. The third term, persecuted, means to flee. By the way, the word is dioko. It's in Matthew 5, 10 through 12, where Jesus told us we were blessed if we were persecuted, by the way, for righteousness' sake. If they say all manners falsely for Jesus' sake. Because, well, you're in good company. So they did to the prophets who were before you. Jesus said in Matthew 10, verse 23, that when they persecute you in one city, we'll flee to another. And there's our word again. In John chapter 15, verse 20, Jesus says, A servant It'll never be greater than his master. He's not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you too. You're not going to be able to do this better than I do. Please hear me in that. Because this verse is so in the face of contemporary Christianity. Contemporary Christianity says, if we could just be cool enough, if we could just be hip enough, if we could be tatted enough and pierced enough and edgy enough and whatever enough then we won't be persecuted and we can get the gospel to them and they're all, we're going to like buddy them the problem is jesus said stop being surprised if the entire world hates you because the entire world is going to hate you because it's under the sway of the wicked one first john teaches us that now, I'm not trying to say don't reach out to people. I'm saying do reach out to people, but stop trying to be cool because we are going to be cool eternally. Rather, be loving and be true. Do not forfeit the truth or your mission to be cool. Because it's crazy. Because it becomes a joke to them. And this is the word he uses. We are persecuted. Now, let's be honest. To the degree that Paul is, I would, have, would be really shocked if any of us in here are going to be at that point. And I'll explain that in a moment. But then he says also that we're struck down. Katabalo. Kataba, the means according to balo is an easy word, like balo, it means to throw. It means we are thrown or thrown down. 
It's interesting. It's the word that Paul, or I should say Paul, but the writer of Hebrews, because I, I wouldn't say that it was Paul. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance. He's like, hey, look at, let's throw down where we are and let's start moving forward. It is the word that is used in Revelation 12, verse 10, when a loud voice from heaven says, Now salvation and strength in the kingdom of God, the kingdom of our God, and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren, who accused them before our God night and day has been cast down. Aren't you thankful that he's been thrown down like that? That's the text in Revelation 12. So let me tell you these four things again, beloved. Hear me. Paul says, this is what my life has been. It has been hard-pressed, crowded in, no way out is kind of the idea. It has been perplexing. There have been times where I've looked and gone, I have no clue what to do with this. There have been times where I've been persecuted, where I've had to flee for my very life. There have been times where I've been struck down. I mean, people have genuinely gotten in, crawled up into my grill, and really laid me low. Now, maybe that was physically, and maybe that was just something said so horrific. But if that's all there is, then you'd be like, well, life's just going to suck till we get to heaven. Isn't that pretty much what that says? But that's not what it says. That's just the area before the butt nuts. Listen to this, and actually do this. If you have your Bibles, flip for a moment to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Should be easy. You're in 2 Corinthians 4. Go seven chapters to your right. And Paul, Paul reviews a little bit of what this looks like in his life. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 24. Take a look at that with me. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. That means five times he was whipped. 39 times. Verse 25 says, three times I was beaten with rods. So let me ask you, how many of you here have been whipped for your faith? Okay, well, there you go. Paul has been whipped five times more. Or five, I'm sorry, well, infinitely times more because it's times zero. But at least five more times. How many of you have been beaten with rods for your faith? Okay. Well, Paul was thrice. How many of you have been stoned? And by that I mean people threw rocks at you. I've been hit with a rock, but I've never been like where it was the avalanche barrage of them to try to kill me. Paul has been. Three times I was shipwrecked. How many of you have been shipwrecked for your faith? Not shipwrecked in your faith, but okay. Night and day I have been in the deep. In journeys often, perils often. By the way, journeys often tells us that the journey wasn't even fun. It wasn't like Paul flew first class or Paul even rode coach. Paul was on a slave ship or on a cargo ship. In perils of waters, perils of robbers, perils of my own countrymen, perils of Gentiles, perils of the city, perils in the wilderness, perils in the sea, Perils among false brothers, weariness and toil, sleeplessness often, hunger and thirst, fastings often, cold and even nakedness. Besides these other things, what comes upon me daily? Which one of you likes that word there? I mean, I like, well, once in every blue moon. Oh, no, daily here. My deep concern for all of the churches. Who is weak? Then I'm not weak. 
who was made to stumble that I do not burn with indignation. Paul's like, look, at I'm still a human being. I still struggle even with my own sinful nature. That's where Paul is in this. So listen, imagine Paul speaking to us. And you want to tell Paul, I'm afraid to share my faith. And Paul goes, are you afraid that they're going to cut off your head? No, no, no. I'm just afraid they might hang up on me. I was like, what does that mean? They're going to hang you? No, no, no. Just hang up. They might not text me back. They might tweet a nasty thing. Could you imagine how weak we've become to think that that's ardent persecution? No, I'll grant you this. People saying something nasty, it does hurt. I'll grant you that. But I've learned this. We've learned to soften ourselves up to them enough where it's something, you know this. Have you ever been at those moments where, I've had these moments where I've been really active and I could get a flu jab and I wouldn't even know what happened. I could have other moments where I've softened up so much that I like almost fear it. And it isn't like the jab has changed. It's just that my condition has changed. And all the more here. So listen. Though life is going to be hard-pressed. Let's be honest. Has your life ever been hard-pressed before you were saved? Mine was. Has your life ever been perplexed before you were saved? Mine was. Well, I've looked at things and go, I have no idea how to deal with this. Have you ever had situations where you're like, man, I need to get out of this and I need to get out of this now before you were saved? I did. You ever been struck down before you were saved? I have been. Here's the difference. You are going to be hard pressed in life. Not as a Christian. You're going to be hard pressed because you live here on this planet. You're going to be perplexed because you live here on this planet. You are going to be persecuted because you live here on this planet. You are going to be struck down because you live here on this planet. But unless you know Jesus, you will not have the but nots. That's the point. So though you could be hard pressed and you feel the pressure, you are not the first crushed. The word there, stenokoreho. And stenokoreho means to hem tightly, to cramp in to where you are going to pop. It's like, here's the deal. You will never, and the word means to be utterly restricted. Though you could feel pressure, you will not be restricted. Though you could feel oppression, you will not be restricted in Christ. Though you will feel pressure, God will give you the power to overcome. That's what he does. You can be perplexed. Where you're like, I don't get it. I don't know what to do with this. This is a crazy situation. But that does not mean you will be. And the word that is there is the word despair. And the word despair, listen, is the word exaparejo. What's interesting is that the word for perplexed was aparejo. Ex means out of. Here's the difference. I can look at something and say, I don't get it. I don't see any way out of this. I'm at a loss. But... What we read is that our God is a way out of no way. That He is a way when there is no other way. And just because you see nothing does not mean it isn't there. And He says, look it. No matter how much I can go, I don't get it. I can fall into the arms of the Lord and say, but you get it. You know how to take us through this. You know how to carry me through this. I wouldn't know where to walk. You're going to have to carry me. That's the beauty of following Christ. 
It isn't that we're absent of pressure. It's just that we'll never pop because he keeps us from popping. Even though we may be in places where we don't get it, that does not mean that I will ever be in a place where I'll be hopeless. Because I have him, he will always be my hope. So when someone says, how do you explain the universe? I'm like, I'm not running it. I don't have to get it. People go, well, I'm not going to believe in anything I can't fully understand. I'm like, well, when was the last time you got on a plane, Holmes? Do you understand all of aerodynamics? Do you understand how a giant metal, you know, can through thrust and inertia can stay in the air with, with tons and tons of tons of weight to it? Just explain to me a bumblebee, because scientists can't yet. And then let's start talking. Just because you can't explain it does not mean that you can't step in and everyone exercises faith this way. I will never be crushed. I will never be hopeless, despairing. And then this third one, though I may feel the sense and there is this to flee, I will never be forsaken. And the word there, by the way, encantalipo, literally means to be left behind. I will never be left behind. Here's the crazy part. No matter how intense the opposition is, I am never to fight the battle alone. The battle's not mine. That's the point. So someone says, you did what? Hey, you know what's crazy to me? You could be doing drugs. You could be stealing from everyone, running from the law, have warrants out for your arrest. And I know family members that are okay with that. You give your life to Christ and they're like, what happened to you? I'm, I'm worried about you. How does that work? And then they'll call me and say, you're brainwashing my son or my cousin or my uncle or whatever. I'm like brainwashing? It's because he had a dirty brain. I'm not doing it. The word is. He was okay when he was getting people pregnant and running around with STDs and he was okay when he was beating people up and and trying to kill people and they were trying to kill him. You're okay with that, but you're not okay with him being secure with Christ? No, he's weird now. Isn't that crazy how that works? But it's not my battle to fight. Man, I tell you, I have been in situations where I've looked at it and gone, oh, this is not going to be good. This is not going to be good. And have the Lord step in in ways that I am so thankful it's his battle to fight. Quick story. We're almost around to the end of this. There was one of those holidays that my wife and I chose to take many years ago. And we were going to go to London and to Paris. Now understand, London doesn't seem exotic to you, but it does when you live in California. I know you're, I don't know, was it nine, ten thousand miles away, whatever it is. And or whatever, it's probably not even that. But it is eleven hour to fourteen hour flight, it all depends. That's a long time in one of those cans. Especially when you're my height. But I'm not bitter. And bless my wife. She really wanted to do this at my pace, and you're probably aware of the fact my pace is a little bit quicker than hers. Now these days we're evening out. But those days, if you imagine, I have infinitely more energy than I do today. And she just man, she was determined. So we did okay in England. I just loved it. Felt like I was at home. It was November. It was our anniversary month. It was much colder than she's used to. She's from Southern California. Cold is 10 degrees Celsius, right? That's freezing. Not, you know, I mean, however, you get it. 
And we did run at a pace. I mean, let's face it, you've got to catch the trains and the buses, and you're on and you're off and all of that stuff. And when you're used to a place that's called Slow County for a reason, it's like, oh, look it, something happened today. And not to pick on it, it was definitely a place where things happen slow. Everyone's like, it's cool. We had, in our little area, we had one garage, like MOT. And if you pulled in there and you're like, I need a new transmission, the guy could likely say, Peter, he would say, no. Like, what do you mean, no? No, I don't want to do it. Like, you don't want to do it today? No, I I just don't think I want to do it. That was our little community. Most of the time it was closed. You could always tell when the surf was good because almost every shop was closed. That was our area. So imagine going from that to this. But when we hit Paris, oh my goodness, everything changed. It was freezing and she was miserable. And she doesn't speak French. She didn't get, I mean, she was so out of her element. And it was go, 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 go. You can imagine. And she got to the point where she was just blown out. Laying on the bed in our hotel room, crying. Oh, bless her heart. She was so exhausted, so spent. I'm like, I'm the guy, right? Mr. Understanding, I'm like, how do I fix this? She says, my feet hurt so bad. See, she had bought, ladies, so maybe you get this, she bought a pair of those, those boots that look really good, but they ain't made for walking. Does that make sense? And she had walked. I mean, she's not used to walking. We drive everywhere in California. She walked everywhere. Imagine, she walked all over London in those things, and then she got to Paris, and they're freezing, and she's cold. So what does a man do? I'm going to go find her a pair of shoes. That's what I'm going to do turns out that the only place that I'm aware of that's open at 9 at night or 8.30 at night happens to be right beyond Montmartre, if you're familiar. That is just below Sacre-Cœur, which is the adult district. Here I am as a pastor running, and I'm going to go get a pair of women's shoes just on the edge of the adult district. And I'm trying to explain. I'm looking for women's shoes that are really comfortable for my wife. And they're bringing out shoes that are my size. I'm like, you're missing the point. not for me. And they're like, uh, and finally I'm like, please, just please give me a pair of Skechers. You know what those are? They're kind of like universal, but comfy. They're, you know, whatever. Certainly better than the boots. So, I get these things, and she brings me a pair, and they're infinitely smaller than the pair that, obviously, she initially brought, and I go back with them. And I'm trying to explain. I'm like, I'm like, European sizes, 30-something, 20, I don't, uh, like this, (laughs) you know? And what I've done is I've taken her shoe, and I've gone like this to mine, and I'm like, okay, so this size. thought that was at least relatively safe. So I go back there, and I'm like, honey, I fixed everything. (laughs) Right, right? I fixed everything. I've got shoes. She opens up. She doesn't care what they look like. And she looks at her and goes, they're still too big. Oh, great. Okay. 
sure, whatever. Okay, well, we'll go back. Let's find out how much smaller they need to be. And I could say, this is how much smaller. You know, I'm like trying, I'm, I'm, I'm you know, trying to just, okay, I'm trying to be like Florence Nightingale. I'm trying to have that, you know, bedside. And, okay, honey, that's fine. You know, and so, and so, look, like, I'm not trying to lay it out like I'm a, I'm a saint and my wife's a sinner. We're both sinners. That, and you'll get there. You'll get that in just a moment. So now I'm walking back again. I've got this pair of women's shoes in my hand in the bag, and I get back to the, and I'm going to go back to this shoe store, and I'm going to say, listen, this is how much smaller they need to be. You've got to help me out here. My wife's hat, she's melting down. And so I get to the place, and it is closed. So now I'm with, I have a pair of women's shoes I can't wear, or she can't wear, that nobody that I know can wear at the moment, and the store's closed, and I've just spent a lot of money on a pair of shoes that I would have spent all my life savings on at the moment if they had a fitter. And now I'm not real happy. You know, that godly pastor that you wish you had at this moment, I'm just not happy. I'm steaming enough at the moment like this that it's not cold out. And I'm walking through, and I have to walk through this adult district area that just makes me feel gross walking through to get to the metro station so I can get back to our hotel. And as I'm walking there, I'm walking there with a pair of women's shoes, and this guy jumps in front of me. And this guy jumps in front of me, and he's got this wife-beater tank top on. That's it. He's clearly drunk. And he looks and he goes, you want to fight? And my, everything inside of me, my first thought is, yes, I would love to fight at this moment. That would be so great. And I'm thinking, and I'm like, I already surmised this whole thing out like a karate movie. I'm like, you're going to, you're going to, uh, you're right-handed, you lean already. I can tell that you're going to throw this. I'm going to take, you're going to go right over this thing. And then the next scene in my head that plays, and this is the Holy Spirit, says, look at the articles. Pastor from America beats up a French guy at the women, at the adult district with a pair of women's shoes. How do I explain that to my board? And it was that quick. I was like, yes, this would be so great. I'll come back so relieved. That was therapy. And there was almost a moment where I was going to thank God for this therapy. That's how messed up I was. And I, like, and I took one step back for a second. I was like, oh, Lord, forgive me. I'm such a sinner. Here I am feeling like I'm being such a saint because I'm not drawn at all to all of this gross stuff around me. But this looked really tempting. My God, I really, I need this battle to be your battle, not my battle. That's the thing that's been missing from the beginning of this. Is I've been trying to fix the battle myself. I've been fighting, trying to fight it myself. Do you get it? And I just kind of stood right back at the guy and I said, Step aside. And he goes. And he stepped aside. I was like, yeah, okay, my Lord, thank you. You know, and they're dangling these women's shoes going back. And I'm like, honey, when I get back, I'm like, honey, we've got a pair of shoes we can give as a gift to someone when we get back from Paris that aren't even Parisian shoes. But let's read the Bible and pray right now. Oh, I'll tell you what, I'll read the Bible to you. You just lay there. And everything started to change. Listen. In this, it tells us that though these are the things that we experience in life, the battle's not yours anymore, beloved. That's the point here. You're never forsaken. You're never alone because the battle's just not yours. You're still going to have battles. But the reason that you have those battles is so you can sit back for a moment and watch God, if you'll pardon me for saying, kick butt. And I get to watch and go, Lord, 
thank you so much. Because let's face it, everything that I still see problems with is usually times where I've stepped in and said, you know what? That's a total lie. I'm going to defend that. Or that's a total thing. And I've learned, man, the moment I try to start defending myself over lies, you know how that works in your life. You're going to spend the rest of your life doing it. And you just, you know, like, Lord, I'm going to let these battles be your battles. And I'm never going to be left behind. And even though I'll be persecuted, even though there'll be confrontations, I'm going to trust you. Hey, there's sometimes you could do, you know, I could do stupid things and clearly have to deal with it. But even there, I have to throw myself at the mercy of God and say, God, you're just going to have to show me what I have to do to make this better. And then the last of these, he says, we are struck down, but we are not destroyed. And I like this word, apolumi. Apo means out of. Lumi means to lose. You see, in a Greek perspective, and it's actually a Hebrew perspective, God holds all things together. And the best, the most total destruction is for everything just to unravel. You know, you could say, I've become undone. Does that make sense? That's the idea here. So when Paul says, look at, here's the deal. If you want to look at the surface, do you know what you're going to see? You're going to see someone hard-pressed. You're going to see somebody perplexed. You're going to see somebody that's got people that are crawling into their face. You're going to even see them struck down at times. That's what the surface looks like. How about you? Will they see that on you? Let's face it, your friends should be able to see that if it happens in your life, and it should. Those moments when it's like, now there's, there's a lot of pressure on you right now. Or those moments when it's like, you know what, I, I really don't, I don't. When someone says, well, what are you going to do about that? And you're like, I, because I don't know, I'm not going to do anything until the Lord tells me, because I don't want to do the wrong thing. Or boy, that person's really flown at, flown at you. Lord, I'm going to trust you in that. And from the surface, that's what you see. But let me tell you what it looks like on the inside. I'm not going to be crushed, nor are you. And if you stick around long enough, that's what you see is you see that there is pressure. It's uncrushable pressure. And though you'll see those moments where you're at a loss, you'll never be despairing. And though there are those moments where someone's going to crawl in, you'll never be forsaken, even in the heat of a confrontation. And even those moments where you feel like you're struck down and you're just like, oh my goodness, what in the world? It's physical, it's situational or whatever. And you're like, but I'm, it's, I'm, I, am, I am not going to fall apart because he holds me together. There's the difference. What's, which way are we going to look? I thought that was with the mic off. You didn't believe that? So listen, verse 10, and let's read through the rest. Always caring about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus Christ, of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus may also be manifest in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus may also be manifest in our mortal flesh. So then you can see why piano playing was the way it was earlier, because anyway. So then death is working in us, but life in you. And since we have that same spirit of faith, I'm speaking because, well, because I believe. This is not me convincing myself of anything. It's out of the abundance of the mouth, the heart speaks. I'm sorry, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. That's Matthew 12, 34. He says, listen, I believe, and therefore I'm going to tell you. Hey, look at I don't have to see the way out of this to know there is one. I mean, if the best thing the enemy can do is kill me on this earth, he really has nothing on me. So knowing this, and here's the point of all of this here. 
that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. You see, what the world needs to see is a resurrected life. But you can't have a resurrected life without a death. There's no resurrection without death. Does that make sense? So hear me on this. I want to show people, I want to show people what it's like to have spent time in the sun. The crazy part is that it isn't just I come back tan. I want to live in the sun, and that's the point. But for that to happen, the old guy has to die, and that old guy doesn't die well. Have you learned that yet? The old guy fights. He doesn't want to die. All of that greed and selfishness and pride and lust and anger and whatever it is, the gossip and the whatever, the addictions, stuff doesn't want to die well, but it dies because, but when it does, there is a resurrected life and calls it, look at, I'm willing to be chased out of town. I'm willing to get beat up. I am willing to let all of this happen because all of this only lays down the man I once was that protects himself so that I can go and pursue Christ because I want to show you the resurrected life so you know that there is a life beyond all of this. And therefore, that outward man is perishing. You're not going to see this guy. Look, at I've come to the conclusion, and it's not a really happy conclusion, that this is as good as I'm going to look from this point on. I don't want to, I, I burn old pictures because I don't want to know what I looked like back then. I don't want to compare but it isn't like, a, I don't think I'm on a trajectory where it's getting any better. Well, she's married to me for almost 25 years. She's not leaving now. That's the good news. But you get to that point where you're like, hey, look, at the outward man, it just isn't going to get much better here. Now I could try to do some things, but here's the good news. Even in all of that, I'm still going to die, and so are you. I could jog for my whole life, and I could spend half of my life running and, and, and taking vitamins and eating right, and just, you know, like, I'm just going to eat, like, organic stuff. And then what's going to happen is I could go and grab a good organic meal and have vitamins in my hand and jog and get hit by a bus. And I'm not trying to say don't try to take care of yourself. What I'm saying is, is that if all we've got is the surface, we are no better than the rest of the world. That's the point. And he goes, look, it, I don't mind dying like this because what's dying is the surface. The part that is rising up daily is the inside. And that's the part you need to see anyways. Because if you only see the surface, then this is, and I understand why people are like, well, how could this guy be a great pastor? Or how could this guy be a church planner? Or how could this guy be a missionary? Or how could this guy be, what is Paul anyways? Is he any of those things or is he all of those things? Well, I don't know. He's beat up and he's poor and he's not doing well and... Man, if you could see, the, and what you could see is in all of this stuff, the man will not step down. And here's the best part. Let's take it to the juggler and close this up. So it says, listen, we believe, therefore, we speak, because we know that he who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and present us with you, verse 15, for all things are for your sake, that grace, having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving. That's what should be interesting. Christians should be known for our thanksgiving. Could you imagine that? Does that sound so contrary to any culture that we should be known for our thankfulness, our gratitude, and it will abound to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though the outward man is perishing, yet the inward man, that guy is not perishing. The inward man, my inward man is better today than he's ever been. The outward man, not as good as he's ever been, but that's okay. And what a great day to do that. Because in the end of it all, if all you're going to try to do is follow something that, you know, in you or around you or whatever that's on the surface, man, it's just going to get old. It doesn't matter what it is. 
What's inside? What's the inward man experiencing? I'll tell you what he's experiencing. He's being renewed daily. Because his mercies are new every day. And it says whoever is in Christ is a new creation. And literally it isn't just whoever became a Christian became new that day. Every moment I'm in Christ, right now I'm being renewed. Oh, guess what? Right now I'm being renewed again. Guess what? Right now? Renewed again. Renewed, renewed. You get it. You get it. And then he says this. Look at this beautiful verse, beloved. For our light affliction. This is his light affliction. Five times whipped. Three times shipwrecked. Stoned once. Left for dead. Fled for his life from several cities. And he goes, now the word for light is the same word that Jesus uses when he says in Matthew 11.30, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. The word there is elephras. That's like a small push. Think of it as a summer breeze. Not like that wind that you feel going up the escalator at Camden. Right? Well, you know, it's like, you know, it's like a good thing you don't have an umbrella out open or anything like that. And remember that word flipsis, the word for feeling pressure back in the beginning? That's the word that's used here when he says, look at our very light pressure. That's when I, but see, it isn't just that I'm looking at this stuff and calling it small. I'm comparing it to something. There's the difference. Our light affliction, which is but for a moment. No matter how rough you're going to have it, in the, side, in the scale of eternity, in the scope of eternity, beloved, please hear me in this. It means it is, it's a blip on the radar at best. It's a vapor that vanishes. That's what this earth is compared to an eternity we have. And we spend all of our time investing in our hotel room. When we check out, we'll have nothing to show for it. And yet he says, you can invest in eternity, beloved. You can invest in eternity. And to invest in eternity, right now things might be a little bit rough. But here's the good news. It is all temporary. And in comparison to the eternal weight of glory, which he says is bearing forth even a greater weight. He goes, for everything we do, anytime where I choose to die to the surface now so that I can resurrect in Christ, so that the old man can die and the new man that dedicates himself to Christ is following Christ. For every moment I have like that, it pays off eternally. So right now, that old man dying, that's a rough world. I'll grant you that. That's a rough world, especially for a bunch of people who still live under the overcast and have never seen that sunrise. Oh, beloved, but please hear me. Paul looks and he goes, I've seen beyond this place. And the moment I've seen it, I came back down from this thing and that's what the Lord did. He took you back here and now you're glowing and now you're full of His Spirit and now you're going, you know what? I don't want to just shake and hoot and holler and go, and think that that's going to be what the world needs. I want to glow with the glory of Christ and show them that when people really want to see what it looks like, it looks like that in the face of, of things that, that challenge me to compromise, that challenge me to, to back off on my commitment and say, and look at sometimes that's not just the challenge of things are rough. Sometimes it's just blessings. Let's be honest. You're offered a lot of money for this, but you can't follow the Lord like you should. Or you're offered a lot of power, but you're not allowed to follow the Lord like you should. Or you're offered all this fame, but you're not allowed to follow the Lord like you know you should. And that still is tempting and the world looks. But when you're thrown down and the pressure is there and you don't know like how, how to figure this thing out, you can't figure it out, the world looks closely to see if your God's real or not. And it's those moments they look closely. 
So those moments that we would avoid are the greatest ministry moments that for the scope of eternity bear forth the fantastical fruit that we get to cash in for later. They're just unpleasant right now. So listen, now this closes. Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory because we don't look at the things which are seen. There's your secret. If you, just, if you keep your eyes on the things that you could just see here, you'll lose it. You'll lose perspective. You'll lose the momentum. And remember it says here, we do not lose heart. You'll lose heart. But the things which are not seen, because though you see this, and you see these, and you see all this, it's temporary. But there's a part inside Ricky that's eternal. There's a part inside Jonathan that's eternal. There's a part inside Nathaniel that's eternal. That's the point here. There's a part inside Marcia that's eternal. And that's the thing is, is that's the part that we get to spend eternity with. Praise God for that. As we go to prayer, beloved, have you been stuck in the overcast? You've been stuck looking at the temporary going, man, that person, that thing, that, oh, if I could just get, if it, you know, it's like, are you like saying, you know what, your life would be complete if you just had the iPhone 6? The banana, the banana phone? Because tonight, and by the way, how about if the way that we look at each other? Could you imagine what would happen if we did what the Lord called us? You guys wouldn't be scoping out girls, and girls wouldn't be scoping out guys, because we'd be too busy concerning ourselves with the inside person than the out. Because let me just say this. The inside person gets better. Imagine if you woke up every day from this point until you died and you were better looking than the next day, or the day before, I'm sorry. You get excited about tomorrow. You couldn't wait to get out and let people see how much better looking you are today than tomorrow, or yesterday, sorry. We're really messing this up, aren't I? Imagine you got married and you knew the person you married. Every day they get better looking. You think, oh man, I can't wait for tomorrow. My wife would look at me, oh, I can't wait for next year. But that does happen, just not on the outside. We as Christians, we should get better looking tomorrow, just on the inside. Next year, we should be like, whoo! You know, if the Lord chooses to tarry another 10 years from now, we should be the finest things because we are becoming more like Jesus and there's nothing more beautiful. If that's where your focus is, you'll become like what you worship. And what are you pursuing? Will you pray with me? Lord, I, I got I to gotta be honest to tell you, it's humbling to look at what Paul calls light affliction in comparison to the eternal weight of glory and it's bearing forth even a greater weight of glory. And he says, oh man, all of this, this is for you. But not for you, Jesus, but it was for them, the, the, the Corinthian church. Paul was happy to suffer because he knew it would benefit the Corinthian church. That's a weird thought. That he could so love people that at this point in questioning his credentials because they're staring at the surface. Oh God, for the earthen vessels you've made us, thank you, Lord, that the part that is degrading, subject to the laws of entropy, well, those are the parts, Lord, that are temporary. Thank you, Lord, that the parts that erode and decay are the temporary parts. Thank you, Lord, for the part that I really am, the inward man, that I'm getting better by day. 
Oh God, thank you for that. Thank you, Lord, for my brothers and sisters, that that's what you have for us. And Lord, though there is trials, and though we'll feel pressure, though, Lord, there'll be points where we're like at a loss. We'll look at it and we, I just don't even get it. Though there will be confrontations and persecutions, not because we're being a jerk, but just because they, the world opposes the, the stands we take for you. Though, Lord, there are times where we'll even feel thrown down. That does not mean that it'll ever get farther than that. And though there'll be pressure, we'll never be crushed because we're in you. You are uncrushable. You were already crushed for our iniquities. There's no more crushing left. We have fallen upon the rock where we will be broken, but not crushed to powder. And though we may not know the way out of something other than we know it's you, though we may be at a loss, we can rest in the fact that you are still God. And that is such a good thing. And though there may be confrontations, Lord, we will never be forsaken. We'll never be like people are going to get weird on us because you've left us. But rather, Lord, we can let you fight the battle. Oh, that's such, a good, that's such good news. And even in those moments, Lord, when we feel thrown down and we're just, we feel so weak, we feel like, Lord, we are, we're holding on to you with the last tiny bit of strength we have left. We'll never be, we'll never be destroyed. We will never fall apart. Though we may feel like it, show us, Lord, that in the sight of eternity, those are light afflictions. And God, I pray that you would toughen us up, strengthen us up, strengthen those, those hands that hang weak, those knees that are feeble, those ankles that are out of joint. Lord, that we would be confident in your gospel and in the power of your Holy Spirit, that we would stand strong on your word. You've told us that this is the victory that's overcome the world, our faith, that we want to trust you so that even if the world completely agrees on their lies, we trust you anyways, because let all men be liars, but you be true. And we want to trust in the blood of the Lamb, the word of our testimony, that you have saved us and not love our lives unto death. You've given us victory over the wicked one. You've given us victory over the world. And by the power of your Holy Spirit, you even give us victory over the flesh. So now, Lord, I just pray that we would stand in that and trust you. Thank you, Lord. Get us beyond the surface and teach us how to invest in the inner man. I pray for every single person here that they would be drawn to the inner man. That we wouldn't be surface Christians, surface Christianity with a surface church. But we get to the heart of the matter, the matter of the heart. And so, Lord, please, in this room right now, as we make that choice and confess that Jesus is our Lord and Savior, having died on the cross for our sins, raising again on the third day, right to, every right to be our Lord, we confess you as it, not because we need to keep doing it over and over again, but just because our heart compels us to say, Jesus, you are all we need.
as our Lord and Savior. Thank you for dying on the cross and raising from the dead. Thank you for leading us. Thank you, Lord, for pulling us above the overcast to see the eternal horizon and to have us live there, even in the overcast world we live in. And in that, Lord, that we would now shine your glory through these earthen vessels, no matter how much they decay, we'll stand on that as we rest in you. Jesus, in your name. Amen.